Today is the 18th of May, 2022. So if we are to talk about the lives that each of us have, we all have a wish and an expectation to get the best things that we can in our lives, to meet with success in our lives. This happens right from the time that we're born, that as little children, we wish for success, to be able to walk. And so we start off with crawling, but we have that desire for growth, for development. And we see the people around us can walk. And so as a child, we have the feeling that we want to be able to walk just like they can. So we try crawling out, crawling first, and then you can stand for a little bit, but not for long, because our legs are still weak. And throughout this process, our siblings, our parents, they cheer us on to walk, to take those first steps. And we have that intention. We set our hearts on that, wanting to be able to walk, that desire to train ourselves so that our bodies can develop, that they can be better, until we're able to walk by ourselves. When we go to study, then we have that sincerity, that wish to study well. And it's natural that we'll meet with obstacles, and those obstacles are not knowing, this delusion, these things that obstruct us. And there are things that pull us away from our studies, that pull us away from success. And if we follow those, then we study less and less. And then we're not able to meet with success in our schooling. And then we go off to the workforce. And for the most part, people who study well, they're also able to meet with success in their work as well. But there are also those who, when they're at school, they may have uh, not studied so well, been so successful in that, but they can kind of pull themselves around, they can change their lives. And then they gain this sincerity, this focus, determination to work well, and they put their effort into it. And so it really depends on us, depends on our hearts. And if we have a mind that is really there, it's focused, it's um, involved with that one activity of study or of work, then we'll be able to do well in our occupation. And so this is jitta, this act of applying the mind to one thing just having it involved in that one thing. And this mind, it's something that's really important, isn't it? And we also have the sense of liking, of uh, finding satisfaction in um, the things that we're studying or in that one occupation that we're doing. And even though it may be hard, we have effort 
and we don't retreat. Sometimes we may feel tired or achy, exhausted, and that's just normal for things to be that way. But we go against that. We go against the flow. Because if we follow the flow of the stream, if we follow the current, then that's easy. But that leads us into the ocean. It leads us towards old age, sickness and death. And that's the current of the world. This is the current of finding pleasure and this liking towards sights and sounds and tastes, odors, tactile sensations. Following this desire, the satisfaction that we find in those things, it's very easy, it's very comfortable, but it's not genuine comfort because it's also the cause for suffering to arise later on. So what do we have left of that, of that suffering or that happiness that we've had? And where is that, the happiness that we've had before, where is that now? And it's the same with the stress or suffering that we've experienced. This too has arisen and also has faded away already. But if we just allow ourselves to be fascinated and delighted in the things of the world, then it's just the days fading into night and going into day again, over and over. There's light and then there's darkness, and then light and then darkness. But our minds don't develop at all. But if we apply our minds to our studies or to our work, we have uh, this intention there, and then things can develop. And this is true both for monastics and for laity as well. So for monks, you can spend some time building monasteries, building kutis and dharma halls, get disciples, whether monastic disciples or lay disciples. And so there's some benefit there that they give through their teaching, their instruction. And then go on to expand the monastery, building an obosita hall or building a jedi. But in the end, what's there? What happens? You reach old age, and then this monk gets sick, and then maybe when they get to 80, they pass away. And it's all done. It's all finished. This one world, this one life. And then they go on according to their karma that they've created. So we can see that we really can't attach to anything as being me, mine, belonging to me. Really, these four requisites that come to monastics, they actually belong to the lay people because they're the ones who gave them. They have faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and faith in the fully self-awakened Buddha, this nature of awakening in the heart, the pure mind, that's empty, it's empty from the defilements. But really, if we're going to boil it all down, then 
all the things that we get, we have to leave those all behind. And really what's important is that mind that's reached emptiness, that pure mind that is free from the defilement, that has seen all things as being anatta, not self. So the lay people, they have this faith to make these offerings. And they have faith in the Buddha. So these things, they belong to the Buddha, to the fully self-awakened Buddha. And for monastics, we need to contemplate before we make use of these requisites. The food that we eat, the dwellings, the robes, the medicine that we use needs to reflect how these are just elements that follow the course of nature. And we use them for the sake of giving ourselves energy to practice. And so the lay people, they give their wealth and they offer that. So the monks have this opportunity to practice, to develop mindfulness, to make their minds firm in samadhi, so that they gain knowledge into the Dhamma, they see the Dhamma. So we should reflect on this, that what we're using, it's like a scholarship that's come from the Buddha. This merit of the laity that they're offering these requisites. So we should reflect that really none of these things belong to us, they're not ours. We just depend on them and we need to rely on them. And that gives us the time to practice. Because if we had to make our own living, then the time would be used up. But now we have this opportunity, we have this time to do this morning chanting, the evening chanting, do a lot of sitting and walking meditation, to look after the dwellings, the kutis, in the monastery so that they're clean, they're pleasant to look at, so that those people who come to the monastery, when they see the dwellings, then they feel kind of uplifted by that. And they feel uplifted by the fact that these are things that have been offered uh, to the Buddha-sasana. The people have really given a lot to make these offerings. And so this is the sasana watu, the materials of the religion. And they help to support the sasana pugala, the um, members of the religion, so that the sasana dhamma, the dhamma of Buddhism, can arise within their hearts. So we can also study Pariyati, the kind of theory, and get to know about this. And there are many forms of this, of Pariyati, is studying Pali, for instance. But if we're going to draw this together, then really it's Pariyati, this theory, the things that we're studying, this happens when the external sense media contacts with the internal sense basis. So when the eyes see a form, when the ears hear a sound, when odors contact the nose, when taste contacts the tongue, there's tactile sensation contacting the body. 
or thoughts arising in the mind. This is pariyati as well. So in the practice, what we need to do essentially is to know in time for our awareness, our knowledge to be up to speed with this contact when the external sense media meets with the internal sense basis. And there's a rising and ceasing happening there. And then the mind gives chase to that with liking or disliking. And so this is where we study. We see and understand these bodies. If they don't have a house, a place to reside in, then that's a lot of suffering. But we find a dwelling so that we can protect them from danger, so they don't get hit by the light of the sun or by the rain, so they're protected from various insects and animals, and the suffering that they experience is reduced. Why is that? It's because these bodies are a heap of stress. So we should be contemplating and both the monastics and laity to really set our hearts on contemplating. Ask ourselves, the days and the nights are passing by, passing by, what is it that I'm doing right now? And the Buddha taught us to be heedful. We have this application of our minds in one object, contemplating, so that wisdom can arise. And if we do this, if we apply our minds in this way, then we'll be able to see the problems that we have clearly, and then we're able to solve those problems, we're able to fix the dukkha, the stress that we experience. And this is this vimangsa, this um, analysis, or um, a kind of uh, discrimination and seeing things clearly. It's contemplation, seeing causes and then seeing their results. And we see how suffering arises due to causes. And we need to put those causes out so that suffering doesn't arise. And when suffering doesn't come up, then that's neuroda, cessation, coming up in its place. So therefore we develop our mindfulness, make our samadhi strong, bringing our views to become right views, and walking this noble path. This is something that we should really try to do, to really practice this, to put our efforts into it, and not become discouraged. And sometimes it's normal, we'll feel tired, we'll feel weary, but we need to renew our efforts then, to not just allow our time to be wasted in vain. And if we practice like this, then that means that we're not being heedless. So we train, because if we don't train these minds, then our minds will just be like they always have been. There's nothing new that yesterday was like that and then today is like this again. And if we don't train these minds, it's possible that they'll just um, become more and more base. They'll fall lower and lower. 
because the delusion within them grows and grows. So we really need to set our hearts on training these minds so that they have mindfulness and set our hearts on looking after our precepts well, on being moral, on contemplating into the four requisites that we used before we use them, on maintaining right livelihood, livelihood which is in the bounds of what the Buddha taught. Because the Buddha said that he needed to, to teach his disciples well. It's just like a clay pot, um, that if it's out of shape, then he needed to kind of beat it into shape to sometimes use force, and so that it um, turns into the right shape. So we follow his uh, teachings. We have this jitta, and then vimangsa, this seeking out of knowledge, contemplating until wisdom arises, until we see the truth. And this is really quite incredible when it happens. It's this dhamma of Lokutara, this transcendent dhamma, it's above the world. And it's possible for us uh, to see this. And for practitioners, we want to know what this is like. We want to be able to see this a lot. So we set our hearts on that. We have chanda, this affinity or this liking for what we're doing. That we really want to see that lokutara dhamma there within our hearts. We put in our efforts to make that happen. We have mindfulness there. Mindfulness and then efforts to abandon the defilements, to abandon any unskillful states. And so we carry on practicing like this in order to bring about peace in our minds so that they gather into samadhi, so that they become full and satiated. They feel that like they're filled up with joy and happiness. And these are the things which nurture, which nourish our hearts. So just like when we're at work, then we need some kind of nourishment there and that we get a pay rise or we get bonuses every now and then. And it's the same with the practice. <clears throat> when we start seeing, seeing the results from our practice, then that nourishes our hearts and brings up the sense of fullness within the heart. And some people, when they reach old age, they give themselves to the practice wake up at 3 a.m. in order to prepare food to offer to the monks on arms round. And they do this each and every day. And during the day they may rest a bit. But right from um, the time that they get up and throughout the day they're really set on creating goodness, on chanting, on meditating, listening to the Dhamma. And they have a mind which is really interested in the Dhamma giving rise to benefit with each day that passes. And this is great merit that they're creating. And they have this effort, 
that they're putting into their practice, putting into meditation. And that's really important. So may you do this. And for the mass monastics, may we have good kōwat, that we keep the standards of the monastery well, so that we're able to depend upon ourselves. And when sila, samadhi, banyas, virtue, collectedness and wisdom comes together, and then we'll gain clear knowing. This vimuti, freedom, arises. And then we see for ourselves, we know for ourselves, that this lokutara dhamma, this transcendent dhamma, it's like this. We see that clearly. But before that clear insight, there's great happiness and joy within the heart. And it's like we're a millionaire in terms of the Dhamma. If we're going to speak of worldly millionaires, there are many, many of those. But it's hard to find a millionaire in terms of the Dhamma. So it's like a sotapanna. And if we compare a sotapanna to a wheel-turning monarch, and say that the wheel-turning monarch had um, 16 kind of parts of wealth. But the total wealth of a wheel-turning monarch was just one-sixteenth of that of a sotapanna. You can say that all of the wealth that this wheel-turning monarch has, all the great uh, jewels that they have, the uh, great possessions that they have, um, that the wealth of a sotapanna is 16 times that amount. For the sotapannas, these stream enters, they've closed off the lower realms, these animal realms, or hungry ghosts, or asuragaya, or hell realms, these very scary places. Because it's possible that if our minds get distracted, if they kind of um, go off the track, then they may fall down into these realms. But for a sotapanna, they've closed them off. They've abandoned them. They've seen the Dhamma. And their defilements are much thinner. Because if we're filled up with the sense of self, and we do everything for ourselves, and the sense of self just grows and grows. But if we proceed by abandoning the sense of self, then there's a sense of ease within our hearts. So the intention that we have to do this is very important. Having this intent to build up goodness, to build up merit and skillful deeds. So maybe set our hearts on that, on practicing, and practicing well. Having this intention, this sincerity, this effort, a mind that is applied in seeking out wisdom, seeing anatta, and then the mind transcends the world. It's able to close off these lower realms, and there's no eighth life left. And it's not beyond our capacity to do this. We contemplate into this body, and then we see it clearly, and that happens incrementally.
the samadhi that we have grows in stages and the defilements within the mind get thinner and thinner. And so we have mindfulness there, looking over the heart, being aware of it, whether it's happy, whether it's sad, contemplating these mental states, seeing them as being inconstant and impermanent, that they're not self, letting them go. And this letting go is very important. It's important that we do that with wisdom, and we don't attach to anything. So may all of you set your hearts on this.